Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Got a double dose of basketball coming for teams from the state of Mississippi tonight as the Bulldogs are on the road against the Florida Gators. That's an early tip, 6 o'clock Central Time. As soon as we finish up here at Sports Talk Mississippi, you can uh, check out the Gators at Exact Tech Arena, formerly the uh, O'Connell Center, the O-Dome, whatever you prefer. Uh, that's in Gainesville. And then Ole Miss with uh, a late tip tonight, an 8 o'clock tip at the Pavilion in Oxford against Auburn. Mississippi State, an underdog on the road. They're getting six points in that game. Ole Miss is an underdog at home tonight. They are getting five. We'll see if Mississippi State can bounce back and get back to the way they were playing before the trip to Oklahoma and Oklahoma City this past weekend. We'll see if Ole Miss can continue its momentum after getting its first conference win on Saturday on the road against the Georgia Bulldogs. As we get started, we'll remind you that you can be a part of the conversation on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. C Spire still has that promotion going with C Spire Health. You can experience health care on call with the C Spire Health app. Skip the waiting room and get treated by a UMMC clinician right from your phone from anywhere in Mississippi. Plus, for a limited time, visits just $29 if you are a current C Spire customer. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. How's everybody doing? Borky, what's up? Uh, just got hit with uh, anxiety. So, okay. Wait, <laughs> you don't have another child on the way, do you? No, I do not. Um, okay. No. That, that uh... would be anxiety-inducing, considering <laughs> how young child number one, uh, little Jimmy Dick, is. Yeah, I mean, he's just now starting to sleep like five and a half hours, although he did laugh at me today for the first time. Yeah. That's awesome. That's the, good stuff. Just the next best thing. But uh, I'm having He'll to fly continue this to laugh weekend. at you, by the way, for the next, oh, you know. Yeah, for, for different reasons, around. though. Today, it's because, like, hey, I don't know anything else in the world except for you are awesome. And then later, it's going to be, wow, my dad's an idiot. But... Um, laughing nonetheless. Either way, I, I'm having to fly this weekend, and okay. uh, somebody, anywhere fun. Uh, just back home for a few days. Okay. Uh, nobody or somebody shared an article about flight innovations, and it's actually pretty cool ideas that they've got. There's one like a, a sleeping pod where uh, they're kind of stacked on top of each other, like what you would uh, imagine a, a military submarine is like. So okay, that's <laughs> fine. You know, somewhere to sleep. You've got. Uh, like these fold-out pods where if you have a family, like all three of you could lay together. You know, pretty good idea. Seats that have wraps around so you feel really private in your seat. And then you get to this new idea called the Flex Lounge, 
which is instead of having seats that all face the same direction, the row you're in and the row in front of you are facing each other. Sure. That sounds like the most miserable experience imaginable, having to stare at somebody for the duration of a flight. I mean, I would think that that would be primarily for families or groups that are traveling together. Like, if you've got four people, then, you know, two and two facing each other. Even By the still, way, all of those options that you just outlined, my guess is they are more expensive tickets than the one that you bought to <laughs> go home this weekend. Yeah, I'm like on the very last row. I mean, next to the bathroom. So, Ooh. And I've Ooh. developed a... Uh, it's not a fear of flying. I just don't like it like I used to. Every little bump, I get nervous. It's something I've... Hmm. When you were off a few months ago, I talked to Hayden and Rippy about it, that just out of nowhere, I developed a, a discomfort in the air. Having to stare at somebody will just multiply that by 100. I mean, even if it's a group. Like, I like my friends, but not enough to where if we're flying cross-country on, like, some buddy trip that I want to stare at you for that long. You can still close your eyes. Hey, Dad, what's up? Not a whole lot today, man. It's been a pretty slow day for me here in Starful. There you go. Uh, big one for Mississippi State tonight at Gainesville. Yeah, uh, another another opportunity for a quadrant one win and a chance to bounce back and and you know get back like you just said you know get back on that winning side of things they were showing a few, uh, the last couple of games. So we'll see what happens uh, in just a few hours. Richard and Wiggins suggest Borky that in that uh, seat configuration you could throw a toilet in the mix right out in the middle to make things uh. really interesting. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to the day. What where... a terrible idea that was, Richard. Go back to the drawing board. Yeah, that's no not good. bueno. I, I am looking forward to the day, though. If you ever seen the movie Minority Report with uh, Tom Cruise, it's a really bad movie. It's a futuristic movie, okay. but but cars are all automated, and every like that. There's scenes where they're driving in this city, and like people are having coffee and like reading and playing on devices. I'm looking forward to that day where you just punch in where you're going and just kick back and like flip through Twitter or something instead of drive. Wasn't like the uh, you, hey dad, you got to go way, way, way back here with me because I'm probably getting the wrong movie, but it was in this genre, like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or something, where they had the uh, the little pet monkey that was driving the car with somebody sitting in the back seat. Does that what? ring a bell for you at all? No. Are you thinking of every which way but loose with with Clint Eastwood and the and the orangutan? I uh, maybe. I mean, we 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 established yesterday that uh, me going way back, um, whether it's music or movies or whatever, there's a good chance that I'm not going to be accurate. But I do know that there was a movie that, that was you know whether it was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or Herbie the Love Bug or one of those movies where you had a small. Um, monkey type creature that was driving. I don't know. Sure, Maybe you were true. Right. Uh, hi, Rippy. You're going to get on a plane this weekend as well, aren't you? No, I'm driving because we'll be oh, in Jackson yeah. on Thursday. That's so right. It cuts off almost three hours. There you go. Believe it or not, makes it a little uh, little easier trip for you, and you don't have to sit by the toilet. Yeah, I don't have a toilet in my car. Yeah, that's um, you do well, if you think hard enough. Easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably we've all been there somewhere <laughs> along the way. Oh yeah, somewhere along the way. Steve-O says first class, where you pay more to be the first uh, to the accident scene. I just could not disagree with you more, Steve-O. Uh I get not paying for first class, but 
upgrades are the greatest thing in the history of the world. It really is the difference in being treated like a human being and being treated like cattle on an airplane. You're not wrong. That's a really good way to describe sitting in the the uh, economy section. Yeah. I love how they call you, it that now. Not coach. It's the economy section. Rippy, you look like you disagree with that? I mean, it's not that bad. Well, see... Drink your beer and eat your peanuts and but kick back. You're 5'4". Yeah. Like, but, like... It's different. I mean, unless you... Not really at all, unless you, like... I mean, I have had some seating... Uh, some seating misfortunes, I guess. Yeah. Not having to do with my seat, but what's around me. Who you're sitting next to. Yeah, but I mean, it's not kind of who's around him, what's around him. It's 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 that bad. Yeah. No, you get what I'm I saying. I understand what but you're like, saying. That's pretty rare. I mean, it's not like you're somebody in... that smells or somebody that takes their shoes off or somebody who thinks it's their God-given right to use both armrests or etc. Or all of the above. All of the above. All the, uh, I don't even uh, really mind most, any of that as much as like. Fair enough. We'll just leave. Yeah. It. Somebody Rippy's grabs just like, just, food. Just, in just the don't airplane. speak to me. That's what Rippy is. There you go. Okay. Here's a question. Ceasefire text line. Would you rather fly for eight hours or ride a Greyhound bus for eight hours? Huh. This is not even a question. It's Anyone not who picks Greyhound even... bus is a crazy person. Look here. Here's I where pick I pick Greyhound bus. You're insane. I eight hours on a Greyhound bus to go like insane. 100 miles. But you it's just the time Jackson. limit. That, that's you couldn't all. get from Jackson to New Orleans in eight hours well, on a Greyhound. Yeah, probably. But, man, I'm tell- it's something about it. I-, I developed it like six months ago. I think it was you, Haydad, that thinks that it's when I found out my wife was pregnant that it like changed. The- but if there is a bump, I'm the guy that looks up and looks around and like looks down the aisle at the flight attendant to make sure that it's hmm. normal. And it only has happened in the last six, eight months for me. Look, I, I, so so the question about eight hours on a Greyhound bus or eight hours in a plane, I mean, never mind eight hours in a plane. I Okay, I, I'll just, I'll kind of lay out my flying, you know, I fly a lot and have over the last few years. And so there, there are two things. One, because I don't fly enough miles, normally they're short trips. It's segments because I fly out of Memphis. Everywhere is a connection. So I'm either connecting. Usually I fly American, so I'm either connecting in Charlotte or in Dallas. And so pretty much every trip is a four-segment trip. And so you start adding up segments to get status because when you get more status, you get more upgrades, and it makes the whole flying experience better. So I've got like seven trips this year. Three or four of them already have happened to Nashville for Vanderbilt games. From where I sit right now, I could be in Nashville in my car in three hours and 45 minutes, and I have tried every possible way imaginable to make it make sense to fly. (laughs) Doing that, Borky, would mean getting up at 4 a.m., driving to Memphis, getting on a 6 a.m. flight that goes to Charlotte and then connects back to Nashville and then having to drive half an hour to downtown. There's no way to make it make sense, and yet I'm still trying to figure out how to make it make sense to fly to Nashville in the name of getting four additional segments. Had several people send us messages on the uh, ceasefire text line, and also a couple of buddies have texted me directly, said, I've got to try the uh, the direct flight from Tupelo to Nashville. 
that uh, is easy and inexpensive and not a bad way to go at all. So I, I, I have heard that before. I need to check that out. I need to, Rippy, uh, to give that a try sometime. Rippy and I need to look into that for the SEC tournament. Yeah, I don't know that it'll be more cost-effective than two of you riding together in one vehicle. Why would well, we sure, ride together? You, Dad. How, am I going to drive up to Oxford and pick him up? What are we doing there? Yeah. That's not what we did last year. Plus, what if one of us, you know, has to go home earlier? I was also, I think, in Louisville, Kentucky last year before it. Yeah, I think it made a little right, sense for you to go directly. Um, Sports Talk Mississippi, glad to have you along this afternoon. You can text the show again, ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. My guess is I'm not the only person that has that flying quirk, at least in terms of people that travel a lot. Um, you know, where you're chasing segments and whatever. It's probably ridiculous. My wife pretty regularly tells me that I'm absolutely ridiculous, that the goal of flying is to get where you're going as quickly and as safely as you possibly can. And it doesn't matter what airline you go on. It doesn't matter what your seat is. Just endure it and go on. I just can't wrap my mind around that. So, anyway, she's smarter than I am, and that's never really been debatable anyway. So, um, anyway, that's where we are on uh, on the whole travel thing. Let's talk about these games tonight. Uh, Mississippi State at Florida. ESPN 2, 6 o'clock tip-off tonight uh, in Gainesville. Florida's a six-point favorite in the ball game. So, hey, Dad, the three-game winning streak, I guess a couple of things in play there. One, all three games were at home. Two of the three games were against teams that clearly Mississippi State was better than. In, uh, in Missouri and Georgia, and then Arkansas was playing really, really well. And and I don't know that Arkansas is a great team, but they're certainly a good team. That was without question the best win of the three, and I think I've used the term a couple of times, validate, that there was an opportunity on Saturday to kind of validate those three wins by going on the road in a non-conference game, playing at a pseudo-neutral site in, in Oklahoma City as opposed to it being in Norman. Close game. And maybe given how close it was and how unproductive Reggie Perry was in the game, maybe it's not, I don't know, maybe there's even positive to take away from that. So that's kind of the backdrop for this one. So what do we take from the three-game win streak? What do we take from the loss against Oklahoma that helps us have an idea of what we're going to see tonight when Mississippi State and Florida tip off at uh, at 6 Central? I think what you take from the winning streak is you see what State is capable of. And if State can play the way they played in those three games tonight at Florida, they're probably going to win. Uh, if you take what something from, if you want to take a positive from the Oklahoma game, I, what I would say is if you played the exact same game but you just got your normal contribution from Reggie Perry, well, you win the game going away. You win the game by 13 or 14 points. So... There, there, there's definitely some positives to take. Today's uh, bracketology had State in the first four out, which means they're, they're right there on the cusp of the bubble, and a win against Florida would probably have them in into the tournament, you know, assuming everything else held the rest of the way. This is a good opportunity for Mississippi State against a, a good Florida team, but they're not great. They're certainly beatable. They're much. They're obviously going to be tough at home. But State, State is capable of going to Florida and winning this game, but they have to play the way they played against Missouri, Georgia, and Arkansas. They cannot play the way they played against you know LSU, Auburn, Alabama, or Oklahoma and have any chance to win. You mentioned bracketology just a second ago. 
How about these numbers from Joe Lunardi? Currently, and, and this is, what, we're talking about January 28th, so a long way to go. Number one seeds Baylor, Kansas, who won last night convincingly. There was your Pearl River Resort pick of the day yesterday. Um, Gonzaga and San Diego State, with Seton Hall as kind of next in line to be a number one seed. By conference, A-10 with two teams. West Coast Conference with three. The American Athletic Conference with four. The ACC with four. But currently the last team in the field, NC State, is likely to be passed tonight. Potentially by another ACC team if Virginia Tech or Virginia win in in their games. Against uh, Virginia Tech's got Miami and Virginia's got... mm, I don't remember. Go back and look in a second. Or... If those combinations don't happen, then the ACC, in this projection of bracketology, could fall to three bids, which is hard to wrap your mind around. It really is. I mean, that's a league that's gotten, what, nine, ten teams in at times? I mean, they've just always been the basketball powerhouses. And, yeah, I mean, you know, what can you do? North Carolina being down is sort of, you know, say, well, they say a rising tide lifts all ships. Well, a t- yeah. tidal wave can lower them all. And, and North Carolina being down hurts everybody in that conference. So, something Got to, to 11 for and sure. 10 with a uh, with a win last night over NC State, I think it was. SEC yeah. currently projected with five teams in the tournament. Mississippi State in the first four out, they are the fourth of the first four out. Pac-12 is projected with five teams, Big 12 with five teams, Big East with five teams. We've left out one big conference. 12 teams from the Big Ten, currently projected to be in the field of 68. That's 12. Playing good basketball up there. Big time. Big time. Um, What's the matchup that you're keying in on tonight for Mississippi State? You know, your first thought would be to, to who's going to be guarding Kerry Blackshear, and I assume that was going to be Reggie Perry. But for me, and, and talking to Ben Howlin yesterday, Andrew Nebhard, this guy is incredible in terms of what he he does with the ball. Florida mm-hmm. has 221 assists as a team. He has 118 of them. Yep. The next closest guy on the team is Blackshear with 31. So we're talking about basically a 4-to-1 difference in assists. But he's also the every, point guard, and he plays almost every minute of every game. I get that, but that is a ton of assists. Yeah. I, did, I mean, incredible. What, so roughly five a game? Yeah, I mean, what ninth? Yeah, yeah, five assists a game, maybe five and a half a game. But it looks, it just, it's, it just looks on paper like if you can limit him, if you can force him to turn the ball over instead of getting it to his teammates, you can have a, a really good chance of beating Florida because it, everything funnels through him. And even with with State, and you know, with with Weatherspoon and Molinar and Carter, I mean, there's nobody that dominant on the ball. Uh, as, as he is for Florida, so if you can if you can limit him, you have a great chance to win. You know, Nemhard's when you look at him, he's not a prototypical point guard because he's not overly quick. He's big, he's thick, but his ball control is really good. He doesn't turn it over a ton. the The assist to turnover ratio is pretty good. He's got the ability to make shots. He just doesn't look. He doesn't look super smooth. Here's a, a bad cross-sport comparison, but one nonetheless, and, and it's one that you've heard made a gazillion times. You remember when Matt Jones was playing quarterback for Arkansas and you watched him. He was incredibly smooth. 
But he didn't look fast until he started running away from people. Well, that's kind of how Nimhard is. He doesn't look like he's doing things quickly or fast. And I think I, I misspoke a second ago. He is pretty smooth. It, it, it's not herky-jerky. It just doesn't ever look like he's in a hurry, which probably is a pretty good attribute for a, a point guard. Well, one guy, and, and, and I think I've mentioned this here before. If not, it, it's been elsewhere. To me, Keontae Johnson is such a big key for Florida because he's a little bit of a matchup problem. He's kind of a – I guess he plays the three for them, but he can play the two, the three, the four, and in a bad spot could play the five. And he can get to the rim, and he can make shots from the outside, and he's tough, and you can't rattle him. So he's had some big games. In, in some of Florida's biggest wins this year, he's played really well. So that's certainly a name to uh, to keep an eye on as well tonight. Good shooter. Tyson too, Carter have got to have a big game. Field. I think that's that goes without saying. I mean, you look at states SEC wins versus SEC losses, and Carter having a big game is the difference in all three of them. He's in double figures in all the wins. He was, uh, I think, a combined in the three losses. I think he's a combined six of twenty-seven. So yeah, it goes. I think it sort of goes without saying that if Tyson Carter. Plays poorly, Mississippi State's going to come home with a with a loss. If he plays well, they'll probably they'll probably they'll at least be in the final moments with a chance to win. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. We'll talk some about Ole Miss's matchup with Auburn coming up in uh, in just a few minutes. Ole Miss has absolutely had Auburn's number over the last four or five years. Is it eight in a row that Ole Miss has won against Auburn, or is it more than that? That's extending back to AK. Yeah. Auburn had to have gotten him that year AK went this last season. Well, we'll, we'll take a look at that and have that specific number for you. And also, Kermit Davis has been really good against Bruce Pearl, going back to his time when he was at Middle Tennessee and Bruce was at Tennessee. Um, so, so you know, I don't know that the coaching matchup necessarily makes a difference. Auburn's a good team. They've only got a couple of losses this year. Uh, both of their losses have come in SEC play, and uh, they were both on the road. So we'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll jump into that matchup coming up next when we continue with you on this Tuesday afternoon. South Mississippi with you Tuesday afternoon. Ole Miss and Auburn tonight at the Pavilion. 8 o'clock tip-off for that ball game. Here's some notes for you about Ole Miss and Auburn. Ten years ago today, Ole Miss and Auburn met on the Plains, and the Rebels won 84-74. 10-point win for Ole Miss. Here's a little blast from the past for you in terms of names. Chris Warren had 20, Tariko White went for 19, and Neil Polonese had 14 points in the game. It was uh, Ole Miss's first time winning back-to-back league road games since 2001, so a nine-year span between doing that. That was January 28th of 2010. Last year, Ole Miss beat Auburn twice. They beat them in Oxford 82-67. Terrence Davis had 27 points and 12 rebounds. 
and they beat them on the plane 60-55, to held Auburn to a season-low 32.7% shooting. Interestingly enough, big games from Devontae Shuler in both of those outings. He had 14 in the win in Oxford, and he had 17, including a career-high tying four three-pointers in the win at Auburn. Probably their most important, like if you want to simplify it, what got them in the tournament last year were the two wins over Auburn. And if you'll remember, I believe the game at Auburn last year might have been Shuler's most important game at Ole Miss because Terrence Davis missed the game with the flu. Oh, I forgot about that. I uh, don't think it was the corona flu, but the flu. That's good to know. Good to know. Um, which about, sidebar? What exactly is the difference between like what is the, what is the, all the rage about this? I'm I'm not up to date on the coronavirus. Borky might be able to fill us in. It emanates from China. Yeah, it was a market there that was selling exotic um, animals for eating, and it has since gone international. But it is a version of the flu? Uh, I guess, yeah, and they're, they're working on treatment right now, although it is different somehow. Um, has a mortality rate of 4%. Which oh, seems uh, it, so that's w- not like that's but, four out of a hundred, Borky. <laughs> right, which sounds low, but if it's as easy to catch as people say it is, I mean, what if it uh, hits a million people? Well, well what is four percent of a million? It's a really high number, so that's why people are kind of scared. I'd see why. I thought it was just some like some new flu strand. Probably yeah. should have read up on that. Yeah. Either way, hey, sidebar. When we get to the very end of the show and the what have you learned today, then uh, you've got something to uh, contribute. Learn something new every day from Borky. A a little interesting when you look at the series between Ole Miss and Auburn. Sometimes one team just has another team's number, and it doesn't always make sense. Ole Miss has won 12 of the last 14 against Auburn. They won both games last year. If you go to the previous season, Andy Kennedy's final year, Auburn won both games that series or that in that season. Prior to that, Ole Miss had won ten straight, five at home, four at Auburn, and one in the SEC tournament. So Ole Miss has gotten twelve of the last fourteen against some bad Auburn teams, but also some pretty good Auburn teams in that stretch. Although it's really the last three years that Auburn has made the significant yeah, I was about to say, step they were forward. down for quite a while, but for a program that like Ole Miss, and I guess given its, I mean, if you're talking over a series of playing ten times, twelve times, whatever, like I don't know how many programs Ole Miss has done that. To well, the, the, the ten in a row against Auburn was the longest consecutive win streak against one team from the SEC in school history. Makes sense. They had had two eight-game winning streaks. One of those against LSU. One of those against Mississippi State in the entirety of the time they've been playing basketball. Hey, Dad, we talk about this with football a lot. Um, and, and you know, in terms of Mississippi State, it's been traditionally LSU has had Mississippi State's number. Traditionally, Alabama has had Ole Miss's number. The wins are few and far between in those series. Can you point to one in basketball where it feels like Mississippi State has kind of had the upper hand like in dominant fashion over a pretty significant period of time? In recent years, no, because I mean, with the Rick Ray years, who who were they going to beat? But <laughs> Stansberry and Richard Williams had a really good record against LSU, though. Like, I don't know that I don't. I know thought you were going to say against Alabama. Uh, Stansberry was okay against Alabama, but he took some losses. But 
I don't think that Chris Jackson ever beat Mississippi State. I could be wrong about that, but I know that for the most part, State had a a winning record against LSU under Richard Williams and and Rick Stansberry. So Chris Jackson, you're going back to late 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. By the way, LSU is putting his number in the uh, the rafters at the PMAC later this year. Long overdue. I went to LSU for a game a few years ago and was amazed that it wasn't already up there. Yeah. There are a handful of numbers up there. Um, obviously, none bigger than Shaq's. Yeah, I guess literally and figuratively. Um, yeah. but yeah, I I agree that uh, it is long overdue. One of the all time greats in the uh, in the SEC, Chris Jackson, when he was playing in the league, uh, Mahmoud Radu, uh, try again, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. Once he made the uh, the transition to the uh, to the NBA. So, Rippy, what do we need to know? I mean, we talked series notes and whatever. All that's in the past and doesn't really affect this game tonight. What do you need to know about Ole Miss and Auburn meeting at 8 tonight? Probably looking in, on the interior with Austin Wiley, Pirafoy. Ole Miss has not been a great team on the glass. They're not exactly great protecting the rim. You know, kind of perimeter-wise, it just seems kind of is what it is. Auburn's going to take a bunch of threes. I mean, I think they take the second most in the SEC outside of Alabama, which makes Alabama seems to make the Rockets look like a team that likes to pound it inside. So like they're a distant second, but like they're they're I think five fifty one to four forty two. So I think the key to this game for Ole Miss particularly will be kind of keeping Auburn off the offensive glass. You know, you think about Auburn a year ago when they made that run to the Final Four and they were so good throughout the course of the year. They made threes and they had guys that absolutely scared you to death. You know, Bryce Brown, Jared Harper, guys that could fill it up from the outside, you know, especially with Bryce Brown, you know, you blink and he's hit seven threes in a game. I, I think they got a couple of guys that are capable of that. Samir Dowdy hit six threes against Cal State Northridge. He hit five this year against New Mexico, but they've not shot it well. He's not shot it very well in recent ball games. And Auburn is a team despite shooting a ton of threes, is not shooting a percentage. Uh, eighth in percentage, and I think they have one guy on the roster shooting over... Jamal Johnson is shooting 46% from three. But he's only, yeah, I mean, comparatively, though, he's only taking 50. I guess that's... Yeah. As a team, Auburn shoots 31.5% from behind the arc. Samir Dowdy, by far, has taken the most. He's got 104 free uh, three-point attempts and is shooting 31%. A uh, bunch of three-point attempts from Dangel Purifoy, but he's shooting 30.5%. He's 29 of 95. Um, Javon McCormick, good player, 30% from behind the arc. If you're going to take the number of threes that those three guys are taking, you need to be in that 36 37% range. Yeah, you've seen them die by it. I mean, their only two losses have come in a matter of a week, but came against Florida, game against Alabama, pretty brutal. Yeah. Did not uh, did not shoot it well. So, is it about defending the perimeter or about just hoping that uh, they don't go in? I mean, I think it. I mean, you have to defend well, but I think at a certain point, kind of is what it is. But if they're getting extra possessions, getting offensive rebounds, and also getting clear straight line drives to the rim, I think that'll hurt Ole Miss a lot more. We'll see how this one goes. It would be big if Ole Miss were able to uh, potentially get a win in the, the ball game. The two losses that you were talking about uh, against Florida, 8 of 17 from behind the arc. They turned it over a ton. 18 turnovers, I believe it was. And, oh, no, that's not right. I'm looking at the wrong, uh, I'm looking at the wrong, it was Florida that was 8 of 17. 
Auburn was 4 of 23 from 3 in that game. They shot 17%. And in their loss to Alabama, they were 25%, 7 of 28. That's a good formula, then. If you can get Auburn to shoot 30% from the field, or from 3, 25% from the field, you probably got a a shot tonight. What about what Ole Miss did offensively against Georgia with some balanced scoring and getting it around? Can that be replicated? Did they play differently? They only took nine threes in the game. Sure, they definitely made a concerted effort to get better looks and get closer to the rim, as opposed to settling for jump shots. But can you do that against a much better team, particularly in the front court? I guess that kind of remains to be seen. And the the other thing about Auburn is they are incredibly athletic. Like, Auburn's going to block some shots tonight. And I'm not just talking about Austin Wiley down low in that game. He may get a couple of blocks. But you get Anthony McLemore helping. Uh, you know, Javon McCormick might get a block on the perimeter. He's explosive. So we'll, we'll see uh, if Ole Miss is able to, to kind of lock in and, and replicate trying to drive, trying to get to the free throw line, making free throws when they get to the line. Much better against Georgia, 14 of 17 from the line. Uh, then they were, what was it, 10 of 19 in the home loss to LSU, and all 10 of those were makes by Brian Tyree? 9 of 19. He went 9 of 9. rest of the team went 0 of 10. Okay. Not well, actually, you, but I still looked that up. I was off today. by one, but thank you. No, I mean, I appreciate getting it right. Accuracy is important. Sports Talk Mississippi. C Spire text line, you treat the corona flu with Lyme disease. Mm, come on. Jeez. Greg and Jackson suggested bat soup was to blame for the coronavirus. That's oh, one bat? of the animals. Bat yeah. soup. That's its real thing. I have to read more on this. Aren't bats just like flying disease machines? They're birds. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday afternoon. So we mentioned Ole Miss and Mississippi State both playing tonight. Mississippi State at Florida, Ole Miss at home. You've also got Texas A&M at Tennessee. That's the first game of the night. SEC Network tips off at 5.30. Tennessee's a 10-point favorite in that game. And Georgia is at Missouri. That game's at 7.30 on the SEC Network. So Georgia eleven and eight, and Missouri nine and ten. Missouri is a four and a half point favorite in that game. I don't know exactly what to do with that particular matchup and how it looks right now. That's two teams that are not playing well at all. And we talked some yesterday about Georgia. It's surprising to me to kind of see them where they are in terms of overall standings right now in the SEC. Tell me if any of this surprises you. LSU at 6-0. Kentucky at 5-1. Auburn, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, all at 4-2. In terms of 3-3 teams, you've got Arkansas, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Texas A&M. Then Georgia, Ole Miss, and Missouri are 1-5. And and Vanderbilt winless at 0-6. Vanderbilt playing Kentucky tomorrow night. If Vanderbilt loses that game tomorrow night against Kentucky then they will tie the SEC record for the longest conference losing streak in league history. (laughs) 
Hey, Dad, what out of the standings right now jumps out at you? I mean, it almost has to be – it's one of two things. First of all, LSU, they're playing a lot better than I thought they would considering what they lost a season ago, or from last season, I guess I should say. And then at the other end, I mean, come on. Come on, Van. Win, what? Win a game. One game. The conference is not that loaded that you can't win one game. That program, Darius Garland, not only did he, you know, cost them last season, I guess he just cost them for eternity. He must be the greatest basketball player ever, that's ever lived. They haven't won a conference game since that injury happened. I don't get it. I don't get how Vanderbilt fell apart like this. They, they used to be one of the top programs in the conference, and they've always been at least good, and now they're just awful. Well, you could argue that they've been hurt by injuries more so this year even than last year. Yeah, but still, I mean, it just, it's incredible. Combination of Aaron Neesmith and the uh, the big guy. Newbie. Uh, who? Newbie? No. Newbie. Autumn Newbie? He's on their injury list. No idea who that is. I don't think he's played all year for Vanderbilt. They do have a big guy, though, that's been banged up and has missed the last month or so of the season. Here's the crazy thing about LSU at 6-0. and So to open conference play, they won by 14 at Tennessee. Since then, win uh, margin. 2-1-4-4-2-2. And that includes a two-point win against Texas this past Saturday. I mean, you want to talk about living on the edge. Like I, I said last want... week, the team has taken on the personality of their coach. Living on the edge? I mean, just barely hanging on. Hey, more surprising than what you just mentioned is the fact that their coach is still there. Is it, though? Because no one else has really gotten canned for it either. Sean Miller's still up there sweating. Yeah, Bill but Self's you've had still in Kansas breaking up fights. Yeah, multiple NOAs handed out at least, which will likely lead to the termination of a few of these guys. You think? Possibly. Won't be surprised if they all survive. A fourteen-point win against Tennessee, and that was, I think, Tennessee's first game without Lamonte Turner. Two-point win against Arkansas at home. One-point win on a buzzer beater at home against Mississippi State. A four-point win at Texas A&M. A four-point win at Ole Miss. A two-point win at home against Florida, where a tip-in that would have sent it to overtime was about a tenth of a second too late. And then a two-point win at Texas. I don't know if you heard any of the broadcast the other day. At, at times it was hard to listen for various reasons. But they talked about something that LSU does in practice. They have a six-minute scrimmage every day in practice. And the idea is, let's go play the last six minutes of a game. And they really focus on finishing games, and that seems to be paying off. Now, I don't know if that's something that's unique that just LSU does or if that's something that everybody in America does. It's working. Sure is. They've got Alabama tomorrow night at home and then Ole Miss at home on Saturday before traveling to they, Vanderbilt. They should be 9-0 and then. Alabama's scary with the number of they threes are, they're but, taking and the number of threes they're making. Yeah, but I like, them, I like LSU better. I agree. 
I agree. Kyra Lewis playing out of his mind right now for Alabama. Sports Talk Mississippi, we've got a bunch coming up with you when we come back to start the 4 o'clock hour on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll be joined by Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated. Pretty interesting feature that he has written about uh, Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach is looped in. Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Rolling into hour number two on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. And right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, our buddy Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated. Ross, always good to talk to you. I'm curious about something. When when you go into a story or, or go into working on a project and you know generally where you want to go, and then you have a subject tell you something that you immediately know is going to be the hook that everybody grabs onto. How good does that make you feel? <laughs> uh, pretty good. You know, I try to go into uh, to interviews um, open-minded without having really an angle, maybe maybe a, an assortment of angles, you know, a variety, and um, hoping that the subject can lead me into a direction, you know, and so that's always um, always good when that happens. So the second that Lane Kiffin tells you that he's got an idea for a wager between himself and Mike Leach with regard to the Egg Bowl, you know you've got something, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it, I and I debated whether uh, I was going to lead the story with that and make it all about Lane and Leach. Um, I did not because I, because I didn't get Tom with Leach. Uh, he was um, I think he was already out recruiting by the time I was going to be in Starkville, and so I didn't get Tom with him. I think that's you know uh, a bigger story maybe later, but uh, when I can get both you know both coaches. So I didn't lead with it, but yeah, I couldn't help but write a good deal about it and about the Lane and Leach relationship, you know, because it is an interesting one, and hopefully this spring at some point I'll get with Leach and can kind of do a, do a similar version of the story, but just uh, on the Leach side. All right, so, so take me into their relationship and kind of uh, obviously some of that is in the story. You can read it at Sports Illustrated, uh, SI.com. Um, it's it's kind of a deep dive with Lane Kiffin, and it's not all about his relationship with Mike Leach. But obviously, we live in a state where uh, the fact that there is a, a an amicable, at worst, relationship between the two head coaches at Ole Miss and Mississippi State is uh, is a little unique now, especially given the last old you know decade to three decades of this series. Yeah, they they do. They're friends from back in their days at the at Pac-12 coaches. You know, Lane uh, for at least I think maybe two years. You know, Lane was at the USC and Mike was at Washington State, and they certainly rubbed shoulders during Pac-12 coaching events. And um, you know, as Lane told me, the Pac-12 coaching events aren't like the SEC uh, events. Um, in conferences and things like that, that all SEC and you know, all the conference coaches kind of get together for. Um, and the Pac-12, in everywhere outside of the SEC, according to Lane, uh, it's, you know, you go out to dinner or go have a drink or go sit by the pool with another coach, another fellow head coach. But you can't do that, or, or they or don't do that in the SEC. And so he and Leach got to be, I think, uh, decently close from 
uh, their time at the Pac-12 and you know, going to get dinner with one another, or sitting by the pool or uh, at these events and uh, things like that. So they're they're somewhat close, and they have a lot of similarities, man. You know, when you start diving into it, um, they have a lot of similarities. You know, they vacation in somewhat similar locations, Boca Raton for Lane and and uh, Key West for Leach, and obviously they're now both in, in Mississippi schools, separated by ninety miles. Um, but they they also use Twitter in somewhat of similar capacity. Lane even said, you know, he didn't think that any other coach out there uses Twitter quite like he and Leach do. Um, you know, so it's it's interesting because uh, I think they do. You know, they're they're kind of offensive savants in a way, or known as that. And they certainly have eccentric kind of personalities, um, bluntly honest at times. So there's um, there's a lot, uh, and they like to kind of poke around. You know, they like to poke certain people, maybe certain schools. Um, so it's interesting how similar they are. But obviously now um, they're going to be going against each other in recruiting, and obviously on the field, it should be uh, interesting to kind of follow. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line. So, so the 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 bet, or, or at least the uh, maybe friendly wager, as it was laid out by Lane Kiffin, was after the Egg Bowl when both are sneaking away. I guess because it's on Thanksgiving night, they can take a long weekend if they so desire. Going to their houses in Florida, uh, Leeches in Key West, Kiffin's in Boca, and they will fly together on a private jet. And whichever team loses, the other head coach, the losing head coach, has to pick up the bill for the private jet. Now, is this something that Lane Kiffin was just floating out there, or is this something that they've actually agreed to? No, I think it was something Lane was kind of floating out there. And maybe half-joking, you know, but you never know with Lane. Um, You might think he's half-joking, and he's very very serious. But uh, it it was something that he said he just kind of, Floated out there uh, that they were that, that he would propose that um, you know with with uh, with Mike. It's something we we kind of got on that subject because of where their vacation homes are, and um, somebody at, else at Ole Miss had kind of suggested this in a laughing matter, and Lane kind of latched onto it and said, "Yeah, like, hmm. we're we're going to make the winner pay for winner the end will pay for the the flight, and they can just kind of you know leave from Oxford, leave from Oxford, and, and then it'll pick up." Leach in Starkville, drop off Lane in Boca, and then drop off Leach in uh, in Key West. So I mean, he was laughing and smiling as he said it. I don't necessarily expect it to happen, but uh, but again, again, it's Lane, so you and Leach, so you never know. Yeah, those are the kind of friendly wagers that you can make when you have paychecks that have two commas in them. Correct. Yeah, I, I don't think um, I don't think me and you, Richard, can be. Um, can can make any kind of bet that involves a private jet uh, dropping and picking us off uh, at the various uh, risky, um, yeah, you know, at our vacation South homes, Florida locations. Yeah, no, no, I think uh, I think that is uh, a fair statement. Hey, I, I don't want to ask you to editorialize here because I know that's not your job. Your your job is to be a reporter, but kind of on the edge of that, knowing what you know about. Mike Leach's offenses historically and what Lane Kiffin has tried to do historically. And I guess that's probably evolved a little bit in recent years. And and Mike Leach's offense has evolved, 
but it has stayed very true to its kind of core principles. Do you have a gut feeling as to whether or not both of their approaches are going to work in the SEC, one or the other is going to work, or, or neither will work? Gosh, you know, I have no idea. I really don't. Um, we, we're, we're given um, a little bit of a, I guess, an, maybe an example of a Kiffin offense working in the SEC with his time in Alabama. But as you kind of mentioned, he, he you know, he his offense kind of evolves and changes quite a bit. He incorporates a lot of different stuff depending on the year, the opponent. It seems like, um, you know, he I mean, he went into Alabama and took over an offense that was kind of a traditional one and made it one mm-hmm. that is. You know, with the spread and started running a quarterback pretty heavily, um, and, it, and it really excelled. You know, I think he was top four, top three or four in the league. Uh, those those three offenses when uh, he was at Alabama from um, fourteen to whenever it was sixteen, and uh, you know, so we got to see that. Um, we've got to see, uh, you know, Mike's offense. <sighs> You know, probably more. I mean, he's older and just he's been at probably more um, high-profile places for longer stretches, um, you know, and big, just more games in general. And we've seen it have a lot of success, um, you know. So I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't have a gut feeling um, as much. I, I think you're right when you say, you know, Leach isn't going to be changing his style or anything because he's in the SEC. I don't expect that at all. He's, he's never really changed. Uh, Lane, however, I think, you know, kind of mixes things up a little bit, and it wouldn't surprise me if he tweaks things here or there, you know. Um, so uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what to expect really, you know, but I, I'll tell you this, it's, it's not going to be boring. Yeah, uh, that, well, that's that's true. That's a good way to to finish this up. Only about a minute left. Um, we, we look at this and we go, man, life is so much more entertaining all of a sudden in the state of Mississippi. In, instead of going into an off season where there's blah and there's no excitement, everybody's excited in Oxford and in Starkville about the future of these programs because of the head coaching hires. I'm curious from a national perspective. If you think sports writers are genuinely interested in the state of Mississippi, and again, only about thirty seconds left. Well, now, I mean, I, I think um, you know, I think there's there's interest in it uh, now. You know, I, I, Lane and Leach being being in such a now involved in such a toxic rivalry, I think there's interest now. You'll you'll see a little more flocking to Mississippi from some national. Uh, reporters because of their personalities and past, for sure. We'll see if they're able to uh, validate all of that with wins on the field to keep people interested. Ross, as always, good work. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Bye, Richard. See you. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated. Good story. If you haven't read it, we'll tweet it from Sports Talk Mississippi's Twitter feed, Sports Talk M-I-S-S. We're back right after this. Fun stuff with Ross Dellinger on the Farm Bureau phone line. Go to their website, favrates.com. Type in your zip code. It's really simple. F-A-V-E, rates, 
com. I'm doing it as we speak. You'll get uh, the splash page there where it gives you the option to type in your zip code. You do that and then click the Get a Quote button. It's bright. You can't miss it. Next page allows you to select Auto, Property, or Auto and Property, and you can bundle your coverage and save. You also have the option to uh, speak directly to a local agent. They can reach out to you or you can reach out to them. And the cool thing is you're dealing with people that you quite likely already know. If you don't know them directly, somebody that you know knows those agents because all 82 counties have a Farm Bureau office, have local Farm Bureau agents. You're getting competitive rates and fast, friendly service. That's why we tell you every single day, multiple times a day, to go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Anything Borky in the uh, in the Lane Kiffin story that Ross Dellinger wrote that really jumped out to you? I did find I was hoping that deal was real. Uh, I found that really funny. Although my first thought when I read uh, that they would fly with each other to their vacation after the Egg Bowl is there would be people, specifically message board people, because that's just a cesspool of misery uh, that would not be able to stomach the idea that. Um, Mike Leach paid for Lane Kiffin's vacation after losing the Egg Bowl and vice versa. People would not handle that well, and that would be hilarious uh, to me. But on top of that, on a more serious note, everything I've read and heard from him, he certainly seems to understand that this is his final shot. If it goes wrong here, he's never getting a big job again. This is it. It's either it works or it doesn't, and if it doesn't, I mean... There's no more chances. It's his fifth big job. doesn't work here. It's not going to again, and he acknowledges that and is pretty open about it, which I find uh, interesting and, and refreshing that a coach is willing to talk about their failures that much. Hey, Dad, Mike Leach is 58 years old. This is, I mean, you're making a huge assumption here. This feels like it's probably the last coaching stop for Mike Leach, doesn't it? It feels that way just on the surface, for sure, that, that I mean, Especially if he's successful, you know. At you know, five years from now, he's sixty-three. If he coaches as long as Mullen does, he'd be sixty-seven. Yeah, this, the, if, if there's another uh, stop coming for for Mike Leach, it, it would be a, a surprise, assuming that he's going to be successful at Mississippi State. Yeah. No, I I, I tend to agree with you, and I, Mike Leach, you know, unique guy. I mean, he may very well be the bionic man. And, and might coach until he's 78. He, he might go 20 more years, and, and we would be wrong. But it kind of feels like that this is it. And if it goes well, could very well be in Starkville for a long time. And if it just goes okay, then, you know, maybe you get a pretty good run out of it where there's some bowl games and there's some highs and there's some, maybe some disappointment that goes along with it. But you would imagine it's a, you know, six, seven-year run that is, is pretty good pretty good and and certainly interesting along the way. But you're almost crazy if you think in terms of a head coach being in one place for more than about five or six years. That that's just that's a really long time in college football years now. Yeah. I mean, unless you are just ultra successful. You know, Dabo, Saban something like that. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, and even even in some cases, you know, 
it feels like you can't avoid scandal at sometimes. You know, think about Urban Meyer. Certainly, from a wins and losses standpoint, he was going nowhere. But you know, the, the well became poisoned up there. So, I guess when you when you think about coaches who've been in one place for a long time in college football right now, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, he's closing in on two decades. Um, Nick Saban. He's been at Alabama since, what, 07, so coming up on his 13th year? That's a really long time. And basically everybody that's not an Alabama fan wishes that it was a tenure that was about seven years shorter. Um, I mean, obviously I'm missing guy. I mean, Mike Leach had been at Washington State for a pretty, pretty lengthy period of time. There's so much turnover... When you look around, I mean, how long is it? How long will Ed Ogeron be at LSU? A- after winning a national championship, is the answer as long as he wants to be? As long as he continues to win at a reasonable clip. First time uh, he's eight that, and four. People I disagree, will ask questions. See, didn't Les do that? I, I feel like I set you up for that. My thing uh, is different with that. It doesn't matter. This will play out five, six, seven more years, even if he doesn't win at a high level. But like, like if I were him and I was his position, what would I care at this point? I proved everyone wrong already. Yeah, that's true. Not that he's not going to try. But but doesn't it feel like so many people are ready to write the the story of, well, it was lightning in the in a bottle. He got just the right coaching staff, and he had just the right mix of players. I just, I'm just, i not sure that I see it playing out that way. I think Ed Ogeron has just he, – he has worked himself into being a really good head football coach. He's the most unique head football coach in America. I mean, look, look, the, the, he, Ed Ogeron – let's think about this. When he was at Ole Miss – Ed Ogeron was roundly criticized and made fun of, ultimately, because he lost. His antics were crazy. You know, we've talked about the weather delay where he takes his team inside the indoor practice facility and they scrimmage for an hour and a half and then go back out and try and finish a football game, and shockingly, their legs are dead. Infamously, you know, ripped off his, his shirt in the locker room, challenged players to fight him, you know, et, et cetera. He's still punching himself in the face. It's called setting your jaw. A lot of that stuff hasn't died, and maybe that's the biggest point here is fit. Because as Rippey's pointed out a few times, on paper, if you look at Joe Moorhead in his hire at Mississippi State, it made sense. Successful coordinator, been a head coach before, albeit at a smaller level school. It didn't work out, but it, it the, the hire made sense. It just didn't fit. But Ed Orgeron in LSU, is a perfect fit. He hasn't completely changed. He's Like you said, he's still punching himself in the face. He's still taking his shirt off in the locker room. He's still him, in a way. Now, as far as I know, LSU hasn't had a full-blown scrimmage, and he hasn't tried to fight a reporter yet. But the fit is what matters so much more than people give it credit for. He is perfect for that job and those people in that state. And maybe that's why it's working so well. But I think there's a little yin and yang to it as well. No, sure. Yes, Ed Ogeron is still right on the edge of being crazy. But he is far more refined publicly. 
He has figured out how to do the right interviews and make the right friends in media and has become less of a cartoon character and more of a like an inspirational character almost but but to me here's the most important thing I don't think his work ethic has changed. I mean, he still shows up at the office early, and he still pounds energy drinks, whether it's Red Bull or Monster or whatever it is, and still has absolutely crazy moments. But he's been able to harness those and kind of use them in a way where he's not working his players to death to the point where they hate him. Well, on top of that, I mean, in the part of the whole, like, like the most tangible evidence of his like transformation as a coach is he went from his players absolutely despising him there to when he got the interim gig at USC that you heard words like father figure and things like that. That's a pretty drastic difference between I hate this guy. I mean, wasn't it pretty well accepted that the Ole Miss players at the end of Ed Ogeron's tenure could not stand him? I mean, from what I remember, but again, I was... Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe that's not exactly right. But that was the case in a lot of scenarios. And I think he took a lot of that in stock and kind of stepped back and evaluated who he wanted to be. And he got some really good advice from people like Pete Carroll and Sean Payton and others and identified what he did really well and then has become like the great motivator as opposed to the great dictator. And there's a big, big difference in those two things. And on top of that, he's recruiting at an extremely high level to where it makes it hard to lose. Well, that, yes. And and to kind of dovetail with that point, all that stuff is fun when you're winning. Your, your head coach punching himself, setting his jaw, and being a little crazy and being a little out there when you're losing, it's a different deal. But man, has he built up equity, built up capital at LSU. And it feels like he's going to be there for a while. You'll have to forgive me because, Borky, I am in the like giddy mode right now. I mentioned, hey, let's talk some college baseball, and I just get excited. We're close. Two weeks from Friday, actual college baseball games and I think it's going to be a lot of fun D1 Baseball has rolled out its SEC season preview here's how it starts with three teams ranked in the top five of D1 Baseball's preseason top 25 seven in the top 11 and nine in the top 25 the SEC race figures to be a heavyweight slugfest as usual in 2020. Gracious. Three in the top five, seven of the top 11, nine of the top 25. Predict uh, Projected order of finish in the East. Vanderbilt winning it. Florida in second. Georgia in third. Florida, by the way, went 13 and 17 in the league last year. Georgia went 21 and 9. 
they've got a couple of horses back on the mound, and yet they won baseball picking Florida to finish in front of Georgia. South Carolina fourth, despite going 8-22 and last year. Missouri fifth. Tennessee sixth, despite having Garrett Crochet and Alaric Soler and some other young pieces back. And Kentucky seventh. Kentucky went 7-23 and in the league. They were tied with Alabama last year for the worst record in the SEC. Rippy, hey, Dad, Borky, just kind of throw it out there for everybody. Is there anything about that predicted order of finish in the East that you absolutely agree with, that you wholeheartedly disagree with, that is a little bit of a head-scratcher? Like I said yesterday, I thought Florida was under was underrated, and evidently, I'm you know they're not underrated. I would definitely have them behind Vanderbilt, but to have them ahead of Georgia, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I think Florida's going to be really, really good this year. I don't even necessarily disagree with Haydad about where Florida's rated, but I'd probably put Georgia second. I think I would as well. Um, the expectation is South Carolina makes a jump, Missouri slides back. Tennessee went 14 and 16 in the league, and they were an NCAA tournament team last year, and yet they're picked sixth in the East. Wasn't 13 kind of the benchmark? Yeah. That's what's going to be tested this year. I mean, Florida got into the league at 13 and, or into the tournament at 13 and 17 last year. But like that's what's probably that proverbial benchmark that you normally think is enough to get you in in terms of SEC wins. Don't you think that'll be tested this year? With the way the league is, teams RPI, I mean, like, do you get a 12-18 and 18 team in? Is there a scenario where Ole Miss could be the test case for 12-18, and 18 deserving to get in based on the schedule? Sure, I think so. I mean, I think so, but I think there's any – I mean, any team outside of Vanderbilt, I guess Georgia because his arms are too good. Like anything outside of that, like, I, it wouldn't surprise me if any of those kind of middle, upper-tier SEC teams kind of – I guess middle tier would probably be the better word, end up being like like that. Arkansas and Mississippi State both finished 20-10 and 10 last year in the West. Arkansas is picked to win the West this year. D1 Baseball has Auburn second in the West. A lot of respect for that pitching staff. Mississippi State third, LSU fourth, Texas A&M fifth, Ole Miss sixth, and then once again Alabama seventh. And here's the thing. Brad Bohannon's in the process of building a pretty decent program. Western Division. What jumps out, positive, negative, or is a head-scratcher? I would have I mean, I know Auburn is getting better, and they're a good program, but I would have them behind probably both State and LSU. So you would have Auburn fourth in the West? Yeah. I would, I would say... Arkansas State, LSU, Auburn. Okay. Ole Miss is a, what? That's back-to-back supers for Auburn. They're kind of a fluky thing going from going to Omaha two years ago. And went last year. Yeah. Oh and yeah. And they were you know they, Auburn went to Omaha were, last that's year. That's right. That's right. They had that yeah. game where they scored what fourteen in the first inning. Yeah, against against North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, and then had stayed on the ropes before that crazy, crazy ninth inning up there in Omaha. You know how they got to a super regional? Anybody remember? Anyone? They won in the Charmin Soft Regional hosted by Georgia Tech in Atlanta, boys. 
<laughs> it's almost about. as if somebody told you that was going to happen. I forgot about old Charmin Soft, Georgia Tech. Almost. wonder where Georgia Tech's projected this year. Wherever it is, it's higher than they should be. <laughs> Richard's irrational hatred of Georgia Tech is, is exciting. I don't know I why. don't even hate them. It's just like, you know, there, there is a decades-long body of work that proves to us that regardless of how talented that roster is, they are going to need Charmin. In addition to being Charmin soft, after they down their leg at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. You didn't like that, Rippy? That's a pretty gross mental picture, man. It's like having a bathroom, a toilet in your car. That's a good point. Imagine trying to steal bases with that going on. Ten projected SEC teams and regionals. Vanderbilt, Florida, Georgia, Arkansas, Auburn, Mississippi State, LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, and South Carolina. So probably, what, five or six hosts? Vandy, yes. Florida, yes. Georgia, yes. Arkansas, yes. Auburn, yes. Mississippi State, yes. LSU, maybe? That would be seven. That would be seven. Another thing that has a chance to be bucked is the, with how strong the league is this year is the whole notion of, well, they, this league has X many hosts. By this league, nine times out of ten, it's the SEC. There's that many national seeds. Preseason player of the year, Austin Martin. Third baseman for Vanderbilt. He's really good. Preseason pitcher of the year, Emerson Hancock, right-hander from Georgia. Freshman of the year, name to watch, Hunter Barco, left-hander from Florida. All right. Um, Top prospects for the upcoming draft in 2020. Emerson Hancock, number one in the SEC out of Georgia. Probably the first pick. Good chance. Austin Martin from Vandy, two. Asa Lacey, the left-handed pitcher from Texas A&M, three. Carmen Majinski, talked about him yesterday. By the way, got a a text yesterday from the bus driver. Yeah? I forgot forgot to read it yesterday. Let's see. Let me pull it up. Uh, Scroll back, scroll back. Here it goes. Just heard part of your question. Majinski's the big right-hander that broke his foot. Pitched for Falmouth in the Cape. Really good. Six starts, two-plus ERA. Big draft, according to scouts up there. Told you my man E would know what was going on with Scott uh, with uh, Carmen Majinski. Yeah. Um, highest ranked uh, for Mississippi State draft-eligible sophomore JT Ginn. Yeah, I think people forget that he's, a, he, he's likely a two-year player only. Jordan Westberg. Listed at 12th. This is among draft-eligible players and their projections for the draft in terms of where they fall based on guys from the SEC picked. Right. Westberg, 12th. Justin Foscue, 16th. I'd reverse those. Tyler Keenan from Ole Miss, 21st. Let's see if there are any other. Tanner Allen, Mississippi State, 41st. Anthony Servideo from Ole Miss, 49th. Okay. So top 50 draft-eligible guys, they rank those. Incredibly athletic, good defender. Can he hit? We'll see. Probably will be the difference in whether or not he's top 50 out of the SEC in terms of being drafted. I mean, what, if you're the 50th drafted player out of the SEC, what does that put you? Fifth, sixth, seventh round, somewhere in there? 
Maybe fourth or fifth. It's a lot of math, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, this is fun. So looking ahead again, 2021 top prospects from the SEC. You're going to get into some names that maybe you don't recognize, and then some that you're like, ooh. We got two more years with this guy? Kumar Rocker at Vanderbilt. Yeah, we got two more years with this guy. Yes. Gunnar Hoagland from Ole Miss at number four. Eric Sarantola from Mississippi State at number nine. Big opportunity for him this year, isn't there? Talk to him on uh, Saturday, and yeah, exactly right. And the, and the guy that you're about to mention after him, that's your Saturday-Sunday guys from Mississippi State. 16th, Christian McLeod, left-hander. Yeah. They are super, super high on him. He would have been in an MSU's rotation last year. He, he, got, he got sick. They haven't ever disclosed what was wrong. Didn't say okay. it was upper body or lower body. But mm-hmm. he got sick before the start of the season last year. They were planning on him being part of the rotation. The, the scramble that State had with you know Keegan James and, and then turning into Peyton Plumley, who was going to be that Sunday starter, they, they were thinking it might have been McLeod as a true freshman. As it was, he redshirted, and it looks like he'll get the, uh, the first crack at Saturdays this year. We're going to take a quick timeout, and we will continue to talk about this. This is fun. Hope you're on board as well. Hope you were ready for a little college baseball conversation. We're going to sprinkle a little bit of it in just about every day between now and the start of the regular season. Two weeks from Friday, Sports Talk Mississippi. I don't know if this qualifies as upper body or lower body, but Anthony tells us on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk MISS that Lamonis says that uh, McLeod got mono right before the season started last year. So uh, we, we asked Lamonis about that, and he said it was not mono. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Nevertheless. See? There you go, Borky. Or, uh, hey, Dad. Pat says Ole Miss coaches think Servideo is the best offensive shortstop in the SEC. The only question is how he hits. He's had a great fall and opening scrimmage last weekend. If he hits well enough, he's a major league shortstop. Hmm. That's pretty big praise. He's a plus defender, for sure. Athletic kid, quick. The Ole Miss has a lot of athleticism on the team. It would be interesting to see how they behave on the base pass this year. So we were going through D1 Baseball's SEC preview, and they had... Top prospects for the 2020 draft out of the SEC. We were also looking at top prospects for the 2021 draft. Ole Miss and Mississippi State names so far. Gunnar Hoagland at four. Eric Sarantola at nine. Christian McLeod, who Haydad just told you is probably going to be the Sunday star. Saturday or Sunday, you think? McLeod, Saturday. Sarantola, Sunday to start, I think. Okay. So that will be... Righty... Yeah, JT again a right-hander, and then McLeod a lefty, and then Sarantola a right-hander. So go right-left-right on the weekend, at least going into the year. Um, Doug Nikhazy at number 18 on the 2021 prospects list from SEC players. So a draft-eligible sophomore, KC Hunt, who is a right-handed pitcher and an outfielder from Mississippi State. What do we need to know about him? I mean, he's just as the outfielder, he'll he'll be in the mix a little bit, but I don't think we're going to know too much about him this year. I'll be honest with you. So you think there's a guy that is talented enough that he's like a 
borderline top 20 prospect from the SEC to go in the 2021 draft? Well, I mean, you think about the outfield for State. I mean, Rowdy Jordan and Tanner Allen have two of those spots. The other one will probably, I mean, left field, they've got a bunch of guys out there, and I imagine Hunt would be in the mix for that. But, like I said, it's just a bunch of guys. Do you think you'll see him on the mound some this year? Possibly, just because, you know, State's got to try to find something in the bullpen. They don't. I mean, that's that's the, that's the biggest question mark for state this year. Is there 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 are no guys that you. There are very few recognizable names. Losing Brandon Smith sort of hurt them there too. Kevin Graham, the he's listed here as an outfielder, number twenty four on the list. Played some first base last year for Ole Miss. DH showed really big power at times. Probably struck out too much. Rippy, am I remembering correctly? Was was a little better in terms of plate discipline later in the year. Yeah, I think that's the case with most freshmen, though. But yeah, I would imagine like he did have some defensive troubles when he did play first base last year. So I imagine they're trying him in the corner outfield slots just to have some flexibility. But if he hits well, he will be in the lineup at DH or somewhere else. Was that in the SEC tournament? The play that ended up not was it? It was against Auburn in the SEC tournament. The one I remember was in Baton Rouge. That's right. That's right. It was against LSU. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. Oh, is that where he's going to flip it? What people don't necessarily remember about that game, he did make a couple of pretty plus defensive plays that actually helped them. He just he had an error, and then he had that on top of it. He the the ball found him that evening. Um, here's another new name. Hey, Dad, for Mississippi State, Will Bednar, or Bednar. Right-handed pitcher, I, draft I'm eligible next year. Okay, that's one I, I'm just just I haven't heard that name much. Uh, Landon Jordan as a uh, third baseman at Mississippi State, top fifty, and then He'll be in the mix for sure. And then what's the story with Brandon Smith again? Uh, Tommy John, man, he's okay. out for the year. Okay. Also of interest, Drew Bianco listed at number forty-nine. Uh, on that list. They've been listed as an outfielder. Is he moving to the outfield this year for LSU? We'll see. Okay, here we go. Impact freshmen. Names that you don't know right now, but the guys at D1 Baseball think you will absolutely know by the end of the year. Hayden Dunhurst, Ole Miss, number six on the list. Great shot to be their starting catcher. I would probably bet on it. Derek Diamond, right-handed pitcher for Ole Miss. Great chance to be their Sunday starter. Would probably bet on it. Landon Sims, right-hander for Mississippi State. Could be uh, one of the big names in that bullpen. Could end up being one of the closers. Jerion Ely, outfielder, Ole Miss. I might give a, another guy or two a little bit of a leg up, but with the way the outfield is shaping up for Ole Miss, or I guess not shaping up, got as good a chance as anyone. KC Hunt, we mentioned just a moment ago for Mississippi State. Will Bedner, same thing. Connor Walsh, infielder at Ole Miss. Incredibly athletic kid. I, I might, Con, you say he might play second base, might have a chance at center. Okay. Cameron James, uh, infielder and right handed pitcher. David Rocos, uh, Ro, help me out. Rocosi? Rocos. Rocos. Uh, left handed pitcher at Mississippi State. Logan Tanner. Catcher, right-handed pitcher at Mississippi State, Peyton Chatonet. Chatonet, infielder and outfielder at Ole Miss. 
Sports Talk Mississippi Tuesday afternoon. Less than an hour from tip-off for Mississippi State in Florida tonight in Gainesville. A little less than three hours until tip-off for Ole Miss and Auburn tonight in Oxford. Glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, BSR with us as well. Brian Scott Rippey. You can text the show, C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. This winter, skip the waiting room and beat cold and flu season faster with C Spire Health. They're not just a phone company, C Spire Health. Download the app and schedule a visit to connect with a trusted UMMC clinician right from your phone. They can treat tons of non-emergency conditions and symptoms like fevers, aches and pains, coughing and sneezing, all over video chat, no insurance required. They can even send needed prescriptions to your local pharmacy. And for a limited time, if you're a C Spire customer, it will only cost you $29. That is more than likely less than you pay, even with your current insurance, for a copay. It's fast. It's easy. It's simple. You can avoid the waiting room. You can avoid the extra germs. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. C Spire, customer inspired. Time right now for the college football fix. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. The F-150, it is back, it is better than ever, and you can drive it like a Ford. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. National Signing Day is eight days from now. Next Wednesday, National Signing Day, round two. So, a question for you, Hey Dad, and for you, Rippy, and Borky, if you would like to chime in, feel free. Has Mike Leach or Lane Kiffin hosted any recruits or gotten in on any recruits that people need to know about? Hey Dad, we'll start with you. Obviously, you know, KJ Costello was on campus last weekend. Uh, Heard of him? Yeah, has not made any kind of a decision. Actually, is visiting Washington uh, today. Uh, State, like I, I think I mentioned yesterday, they want to get a decision in before the weekend because they do want to host uh, Clemson transfer Chase Bryce if Costello is not willing to make that commitment. Uh, beyond that, they did also host uh, Madison Central offensive lineman Dylan Spencer, who was committed to Southern Mississippi. He has backed off of that commitment and will now pick between Mississippi State and Missouri uh, and sometime between now and then. Now and then being, you know, signing day. Yeah. I get so. Costello, but what's the appeal with Chase Bryce? I mean, Costello's well, a, a guy that's done it before at this level. I mean, been a starter and been really successful. And, I mean, I guess you're just sort of trusting Dabo's evaluation there. I mean, talking about a guy who, you know, got beat out by possibly the best quarterback prospect of the last 20 years. You know, I don't think there's any real shame in that. And, I would assume that Leach has his own evaluation of Bryce, and and I'm not normally one of these. Oh, you got to trust the coaches, kind of. You know, I'll question things, but I will trust a Mike Leach quarterback evaluation. Porky, how highly was he rated coming out of high school? You know where he went to high school, I believe, if I remember correctly. Uh, he went to high school with uh, Robert and Denzel Kimdichie. That's correct. 
Well, maybe not with them because he, he, he graduated a few years ago, but he did go to Grayson. Um, not highly recruited, to tell you the truth. Uh, just a three-star guy, which uh, doesn't mean that Clemson didn't recruit him to come play quarterback and be a good player, but uh, offer sheet not uh, particularly good uh, and was just a three-star recruit, for whatever that's worth. Hmm. He's had to sit behind some guys that are pretty talented. Yeah, just a few. National championship winners and whatnot. And whatnot. So, hey, Dad, is there any feeling among people that might know with regard to K.J. Costell? Is there a lean? I mean, if you look at his 24-7 crystal ball, it's 100% to Mississippi State. Uh, and that's not just you know Mississippi State people making that prediction. They felt like State had a really good uh, situation there. Everything I've heard about the visit is that it went really well. Uh, that he's definitely interested in Mississippi State, and but he does want to see his other options there. But like I said, I think State is going to sort of push him for a commitment there. I guess they feel good about one of these two guys, and that they would like to find out, you know, before the end of the week because they don't want to, you know, waste an official visit on Chase Bryce if they don't need him. Isn't yeah. he headed to Washington this weekend? He's there today. Ooh. Oh, so it's a middle of the week visit. Yeah. So new head coach in both places. Um, pretty drastic different. I mean, you want to talk about one place feeling like a college town? And granted, I've not spent any time at the University of Washington. I just know it's in Seattle. Now I know the University of Washington is not like downtown Seattle in necessarily the same way Vanderbilt is downtown Nashville. I think it's out a little bit, but one more of a traditional college town and one an international city. It's got to feel a little bit different. No doubt. I mean, uh, I, the culture shock from Starkville to, uh, to Palo Alto has got to be, I'm sure it's real. You know? Yeah. I would, I would guess that there are more similarities between Palo Alto slash San Francisco Metro to Seattle than there are to Starkville. I don't I think I'm imagine. going too far out on a limb there. I, no one can accuse you of trolling there. Okay. You were I mean, I'm sure someone you. will, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, they shouldn't. Such is life. Yeah. What about on the Ole Miss front? Still a decent bit of work's left to be done. I guess the first one that comes to mind is uh, Zachary Evans, the running back, whose recruitment has been all the rage on the Internet these days. Um, Does it feel like Ole Miss has moved on from that? I don't know. I mean... Ole Miss, Tennessee seemed to be kind of in the mix, but so is Georgia. I, I, you haven't heard really a ton about it lately, but I, I don't. Only from the uh, crazy. Yeah, be careful. You're going to risk your life by saying he might uh, go somewhere else. So rise above hate, Rippy. <laughs> I think that guy is doing an Alex Jones impersonation, and at the end of this, we're all going like the egg's going to be on everyone on the internet's face. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they had the the Fort Lauderdale kid, Kaufman, who's a or excuse me, uh, Manuel, who is a Florida commit wide receiver. Uh, you know, there's four, five, six guys. I would imagine there. How active do you anticipate Ole Miss being in the grad transfer market in May? Oh, I think I'd be better equipped to answer that after February, just because they've already been sort of active in it. And it don't they need on what... to be? 
I mean, I, yeah, well, they do to some degree, but where and how active, I think, kind of depends on how this finishes out. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at the defensive line with how much they lost, I mean, two guys just played in the Senior Bowl, but they're not even the only losses. Even if you recruit high-level defensive linemen, which, I mean, even the one that they just signed is still a, a development guy. I mean, got to put on a ton of weight and not even really in the position they need the most unless they somehow pull like a plug-and-play defensive tackle, they have to go get one or else that's a, a glaring position of weakness. If you look at what's left behind, it uh, doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies. That and on the other side of the ball as well, offensive line. In the trenches, they need I mean, immediate help that I don't think gets solved in signing a, a nice recruit. I think they need to go get somebody that you can play right away and have an actual impact immediately, especially on the defensive line. Would definitely agree with that. I do think they have a decent bid coming back. And granted, they weren't awful last year. They struggled at the beginning, you know, on the offensive line. But you do have some some cohesion coming back there. But I would definitely agree on the defensive line. I think they've got three. The one, two, three. Who am I missing? No, I think three committed so far in this class, committed and or signed, and definitely looking looking elsewhere. I would imagine that would be a place they'd hit in the grad transfer market. Um, maybe somewhere in the secondary, but. Yeah, I think Borky kind of nailed it. A couple of questions coming in on the C Spire text line. Um, let's see here. UW campus in that area of Seattle is definitely different than Stark Vegas. I hope that isn't what his decision is based on, talking about K.J. Costello. I would doubt as a grad transfer who's only going to be there for not even you know a full year. He, he won't be in Starville if he came to Starville until June. Uh, it would not be that. Yeah. Uh, hey, Dad, here's one. A state friend told me Chase Bryce has canceled his visit this weekend. I haven't heard that, but we'll see. Does he have an upcoming country tour? Does That's Chase Rice. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Does Mississippi State go after Nigel Knott? Mississippi kid I- went to Alabama uh, as in an extra body for a 335 defense. I would. It would. If he's a corner. He might give you the opportunity to move a guy like Jerry and Jones to offense. Uh, there's a baseball question here. We will go. To, actually, a couple of them. We will uh, go back and talk a little baseball in just a couple of minutes with you. Sports Talk Mississippi. That's your college football fix, driven by Ford. Sports Talk Mississippi. Good to be with you on this Tuesday. Coming up on the start of an SEC Tuesday night. Uh, first game up. We've got a doubleheader tonight on the SEC Network. Um, first game, Tennessee and Texas A&M in Knoxville, 530 Central. Mississippi State, Florida is at 6 on ESPN2. Georgia-Missouri on the SEC Network at 7.30 and on ESPNU at 8 o'clock. It is number 17, Auburn and Ole Miss. Auburn 17-2 on the year. Ole Miss sitting at 10-9. and Got their first SEC win of the season on Saturday. Quick look at uh, net rankings in terms of uh, who from the SEC is in reasonably good shape for an NCAA tournament berth. 
right now you've got uh, Joe Lenardi projecting five SEC teams in the NCAA tournament. Highest-ranked net team, Auburn at 20, so a big opportunity for Ole Miss tonight. Kentucky at 22, LSU 25, Arkansas 28, Florida 37. So with that being a road game for Mississippi State, quadrant one opportunity for the Bulldogs. Alabama at 41, Mississippi State sitting at 48. Not only would that be a quadrant one win, but I think you would see, and, and I don't know exactly how the equation works, but I think you'd see a pretty decent jump for Mississippi State, hey, Dad, if they were to pull that win off on the road. Yeah, probably could get to in the the low 40s, maybe even into the high 30s. I mean, they went from, what, 58 to 48 or something like that for with losing to Oklahoma. So Yeah. Tennessee at 55, Georgia 86, Missouri 87, South Carolina 89. South Carolina has been on a, a pretty steady climb over the uh, last few weeks. Bottom line for South Carolina, they've got – Got two or three really good non-conference wins, but they got a couple of bad non-conference losses. Their loss to Stetson is just horrible, and then they had one other loss in non-conference play that was a team that was like in the mid one seventies, one eighties. They've got a road win at Clemson. They've got a road win against Virginia. So maybe those kind of cancel things out. And the question is just going to be: Can they win enough games in the league? to potentially be an NCAA tournament team. Ole Miss at 107, Texas A&M at 149, Vanderbilt, poor Vanderbilt at 164. I will be back on the Vandy train on Saturday once again as uh, Florida will be in Nashville to take on the Vanderbilt Commodores. So those are uh, current net rankings. Poll question today, Borky, is what? Uh, just one so far, and a, a pretty lopsided one at that. Who is more likely to cover tonight, talking spreads? Florida minus the six against Mississippi State, or Ole Miss plus the five at home against Auburn? And the results are? 75% think that Florida is more likely to cover the six than Ole Miss the five. Wait, I thought the question was State plus six, Ole Miss plus five. Not the way Borky phrased it. So what is the poll actually telling us? People don't have faith in Ole Miss to cover? But also don't have faith in Mississippi State to win on the road? It's a double-edged sword. Uh, Not a lot of confident basketball fans around here. Hmm. So the question again, which team is more likely to cover tonight... Forky threw you a little bit of curveball in the way that he asked it. Florida, minus six against Mississippi State. Ole Miss, plus five against Auburn. I actually think Mississippi State, I don't don't know if they win tonight, but I think they cover. So I guess I would... Hmm. Look at that, I stumped you. You did. I don't think I like how you asked the question. Or you could just say, hey, you stumped me. But I'll take that. We had both Ole Miss and State as underdogs. So, you, like, making it local, it's like, you know, which underdog's more likely to cover? Yeah, you but the answer would have been even more lopsided because more people would have. I tried to balance the results as much as possible. Uh oh. 
Rippy's about to come at you. I mean, this is a guy that took a, a survey class and, and understands how surveys and questions are supposed to be asked. He thinks you're trying to influence the answer by the way you ask the question. That's a, Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. Come at me. <laughs> if that survey and all of its problems while we un- released it on live air with like 70 different issues it had was any indication, I'd, I'm not a survey expert. The one you did? Yeah, remember we opened up on live air and then we got like 80 texts like, hey, this doesn't work. Yeah, and I tried to fix it again. I was like, hey, still doesn't work. It's actually even crappier than last time. We were trying to get you graduated with a master's degree, and that was your final project, and you put it off to the very end and didn't really test it before you made it live, and we gave the entire state of Mississippi the opportunity to help to help you. There were no test runs. Yeah, none whatsoever. Wasn't the teacher, ultimately wasn't he impressed that you had like a thousand responses or something? He did. I think he occasionally tunes into this programming, so. Yeah. He's already given the grade, yeah. man. The, the diploma's on the wall. Did you ever actually get your diploma? I did, finally, in October. Did they send it to you or to your parents? Me. What'd you do with it? Gave it to my mom. She wanted to frame it, but they didn't have Junior on the either diploma, so she's pretty upset about that. Junior? Yes. You are Brian Scott Rippey Jr. That is correct. In the event that one day, sometime down the line, when... You've greatly matured. Would I get a dog? In? Would I name it? The if, same? if there uh, happens, if there happens to be a baby boy, Rippy, what are the odds of him being Brian Scott Rippy the third? B three. BSR three. Yeah. Sounds too much like a robot. I don't know. There may be two Brian Scott Rippies. There's What's only the holdup? Doctor Brian Scott Rippy though. What is the holdup? No, on the decision, not the actual baby boy. Well, I mean, like, if, if, if kids aren't on the radar, I don't affect kids' names. I feel like that's another step in the process. I understand that. Okay. Let's assume, though, that five years from now you have a baby boy rippy on the way. I'd prefer not to assume that, but okay. <laughs> but for the purposes of this conversation, I mean, the do you think here? he'll be Brian Scott Rippy the third? I don't know. I thought about bringing. And would back. you automatically call him Trey? Well, I'd probably go Trip instead of Trey if that were the only two options presented to me. But. So that all of his friends can call him Trip Rip. That's a great idea. Come on, Trip. That's bad. Trippy Rippy. Trippy Rippy. Depending on the type of uh, image the kid's trying to portray, that could be good or bad when he gets to school. I don't know, but. Um, I, don't, I thought about bringing back generic. We're harassing this poor guy. Every time I hear sakes. about, every time I hear about kids' names these days, it's something I've never really heard of. Like they're just inventing new names. Like what happened? Like, like why? Why don't people have kids now and just name them Bill or Fred? Well, I mean, you can you That's can start joke. that trend up when you. That's when what you I'm get, saying. I might get, bring it back when you get in the I game. I have a daughter named Ava Montgomery who I call George. Uh, Do you really? Uh, <laughs> I call her George all the time. Okay. And I call Obi Fred all the time. Okay. Bob. Can you imagine a first grader named Bob or Fred? Maybe Phil? <laughs> Phil. That's a good one. I do feel like we've got semi-unique names. Like, I don't know that I've ever actually met anybody other than my father-in-law named Obi. No, that's kind of my point. Yeah. What happened to bring back generic names? So you, you got the Obi? Obi? You got the Obi? Is it still an Obi's in Oxford? I don't remind an, a, a couple of names. I was just saying I was going to zag on the whole name thing. Yeah. I tried to convince 
Jane to like I wasn't going the junior route, but I mean, there's some names that are on the verge of going extinct. How many kids do you know named Otis? I actually have a friend who has a son named Otis. I don't believe you. How old is the kid? Two. Is that his actual name? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Otis Alexander. Good on him. How about... I tried to get Jane to let me name... Like, if we named our son after me and Richard was in his name, so that we could call him Dick. Know any toddlers named Frank? You know any toddlers named Dick? I know, I know, a, I know a kid named Frank. He's not a toddler. He's probably like eight or nine now, and he's the fifth. Maybe I made this up then, but I feel like generic names. I'm sorry, he's the fourth. Off. He's the fourth. His dad is is Trey, but his first name is Frank, and his son is Frank. What about Phil? Don't know any Phils. You thought the hangover would have brought back Phil as a Phil. name? What about Bill? Yeah, well, aren't those both short for Philip and William? Like you don't adapt yeah, who goes the, by you, Philander. Yeah, but now it's like Philander Moore. But now it's like now it's like John. Insert incredibly unique family maiden name Philip Rice? the twelfth or whatever. Or like Bracken. Like, you're not calling something. the kid Phil. Yeah. So yes or no? Will there be Brian Scott Rippy the third if you have a baby boy? I don't know. I plead the fifth. I've got a while to figure this out. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody else we should ask about this. Right now, Phil's the leader in the clubhouse. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Tuesday afternoon. Got hoops going on right now. Tennessee and... Why do I keep forgetting who Tennessee's playing? Texas A&M. 5-3 early. Tennessee leading it over the Aggies on Rocky Top. There were a couple of questions on the C Spire text line that we did not get to. Jason says that he thinks if he ever has another child, he's going to go with one of those um, long African names that has no vowels, just to mess with teachers. Okay. Brian suggests that he thinks Rippy's wife will have some say in his son's name, lighten up on poor Ripster. You got a wife? No, I did not. It's kind of why I Congrats, don't have man. my kids' names lined up. Any prospects? Yep. Hey, when Good you get married, Richard won't show up to your wedding, so. I'm coming to that one, though. Because I'll actually get invited. <laughs> you would have a better chance of me showing up if I was invited. <laughs> See about the invitations uh, when we. I expect to be in the wedding. What are you talking? I, should be, I should be a groomsman at this point. Rippy and I are tight. Hey, I'll be the adult ring bearer. Make him the maid of honor. <laughs> My wife's uncle called her to and her sister to Nashville. Sure. Pop you up on a pedicab. Just make sure it's not on Let's draft do night, it. though. Let's go. Yeah. No, I want it to be draft night. What are you talking about? Those are the dumbest things ever. By the have you ever seen those? Have you been to? I mean, you've been to Nashville, obviously. But yes, have I've you seen those. The, yeah. the pedal taverns. Like the last yes. thing I want to do when I'm drinking beer is to push a massive bicycle around downtown Nashville. I don't want to work and drink at the same time. Hey guys, I know you're wanting to move back to baseball, but we got a quick question about Mississippi State. Why do the Bulldogs look in the transfer portal for players that can only play one year instead of going out and trying to heavily recruit top players that can play three or four years? Well, I mean, they do both. Yeah, it's not an either-or thing. Yeah. You don't really have that luxury, though, do you? Well, I mean, you go out and you recruit, and then you use the transfer portal to, to fill in where you missed on some guys. Or if you have, you know, just a need. 
Yeah. Everybody's using the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean, there are transfers going to L- <laughs> Look at the Three playoff. Baseball or football yeah, here? Look at the playoff, yeah. No, I think we were talking football. Yeah. Um, So let's circle back to baseball for a few minutes anyway. We were kind of looking at some of the big picture stuff from D1 Baseball in terms of the upcoming season, conference rankings, freshmen to watch, you know, draft-eligible players in terms of where they rank in the SEC, next year's draft-eligible players. What about just some team previews? And we'll go through a bunch of these over the coming days, but, but let's start here um, in the state of Mississippi. And... You know, hey, Dad, I, I guess we could get you just to do the uh, the team preview. But when you look at Mississippi State and Ole Miss, we'll start with Mississippi State, who is ranked number 10 in the D1 Baseball preseason poll. Yeah. 52 and 15 last year. Finished with an RPI of four. All time 38 regional. Projected lineup. Now, Rippy, you interned at D1 Baseball at one point, so how do they go about putting together these projected lineups? They get input from coaches and stuff across the country, across the country, different leagues. I imagine both from, uh, you know, they do they do travel a decent bit in the fall. They talk to a lot of coaches in the fall. Imagine some in the winter too. And then, I mean, I don't think they'd mind me sharing that. They there is a survey that like teams are encouraged to fill out to kind of again familiarize them with the more minute like parts of their team. Sure. A lot of legwork. So this is not a batting order. This is just kind of by position for opening day. Hey, Dad, if you disagree with anything on here, let me know. Luke Hancock is a sophomore starting at catcher. Yep. Last year drove in 14 runs. Mm -hmm. Josh Hatcher at first base, three home runs, 21 ribbies last year. Justin Foscue, power surge last season. The second baseman, 15 home runs and drove in 60. Landon Jordan, the sophomore at third base. Jordan Westberg at shortstop, six home runs, 61 runs batted in last year. They've got Brad Cumbust in left field, the two-sport guy. Yeah. At least for now. Got to wonder if he'll be a one-sport guy soon since he plays tight end. Rowdy Jordan in center field, six home runs, 49 runs batted in, led the, uh, or the leading returning guy in terms of stolen bases, had 11 steals last year. Tanner Allen in right field, seven long balls, 66 driven in, and Brandon Pimentel, did I say that right? Yeah. At the DH spot. That's pretty. That's a pretty solid uh, starting lineup. Uh, that's pretty close to what I think, at least for opening day, it's, it's going to be. You know, we'll find out about the, that left field spot because Cumbus, you know, is going to be a little bit behind. He obviously didn't practice in the fall, but uh, is a good enough player. And, I mean, they love him. He, he played well at times last year. Rotation for opening weekend projected JT Ginn, eight and four last year with a three thirteen ERA, one hundred five strikeouts and eighty six and a third innings, only nineteen walks. So he was about five to one in strikeout to walk ratio last year. A little better than that actually. Christian McLeod, who missed the entire season a year ago with an illness, and Eric Sarantola, the sophomore who went three and zero last year with a four three zero ERA, ended up only throwing fourteen and two thirds innings. 21 strikeouts, 11 walks. Need to see a little more control from him. Would, would that be accurate? 
a lot of more control from him. He had some some real issues with wildness uh, during the season. Played, played pitched well though uh, in the SEC tournament and in Omaha when he got some uh, some limited opportunities. And projected as a closer, Landon Sims, a freshman from South Forsyth in Georgia. Yeah, he's, he's going to be one of the guys who definitely gets a crack at it. Another guy to watch, just real quick, I'll throw his name out, is Carlisle Kessler. Not just because he's from my hometown of Vicksburg, but uh, remember a couple of years ago with uh, with J, what was it, J.P. France came in from Tulane as a grad transfer and gave yeah. State some, some, some quality innings. This is sort of the same guy. He's Actually, I think he's 24 years old. This is his fourth stop. A veteran guy has been around, has been pretty good. Uh, State's going to lean on him, I think, in, especially in the midweek. All right, they use a, a grading scale, just like scouts use uh, when grading prospects, 20 to 80. Uh, a score of 50 in each category is average relative to a typical NCAA tournament team, 55 slightly above average, 60 above average, 70 well above average, and 80 is at top of the scale historically strong. Um, 45 is kind of fringe average or slightly below, and then it goes down from there. They grade Mississippi State as a team, Hitting-wise, at a 65, so that's above average. Power, 65, above average. Mm-hmm. Speed, 50. So Not a ton of speed. Just average had, there. And, and we were looking at the stolen base numbers a second ago. You don't have a ton of those returning. Yeah, losing Mangum hurts you a lot there. Defense, 65, above average. Mm-hmm. Starting pitching, a 60. And bullpen, really a 55. too. Yeah, again, really carries that. The bullpen, there's just a ton of questions. There's just no, you know, this time last year, you, you knew you had Cole Gordon. Um, you, you thought Tristan Barlow could give you some innings. You didn't know that Jarrett Liebelt was going to become what he he ended up being, and you didn't know much about Colby White, but you felt like you had a couple of guys there. This year, there, there's just no for sure thing in that bullpen. And then finally, in terms of experience and intangibles, D1 Baseball gives Mississippi State a 60 Say they've been to four straight Super Regionals, back-to-back College World Series, so the upperclassmen in the lineup have loads of invaluable postseason experience and have proven they know how to win when the stakes are the highest. Foscu, Westberg, and Ginn front an outstanding leadership core, but Mississippi State is relying on a host of newcomers on the mound and four new starters in the lineup, so there's some sti- uh, still some seasoning to be done in that department. I wonder what it was. It had to be close to 80 last year for that team in terms of intangibles. Even going into the year? Last year, yeah, with Mangum and McNamee, Ethan Small. You had a, I mean, and you were bringing back all those guys like Jordan and Allen. And five, they were freshmen to sophomores, so they had all played. You just had a ton of guys last year. We don't have time right here to go through the entire um, breakdown with Ole Miss. We'll finish it up after the break. Last year, the Rebels went 41-27. and 27. They were 16-14 and 14 in the SEC. RPI of 22, 23 regionals, including two in a row, five College World Series, most recently in 2014. Projected opening day lineup for Ole Miss includes three freshmen and a transfer. Hayden Dunhurst is the catcher, who comes from Pearl River Central High School. Tim Elko at first base. Justin Bench at second base. Tyler Keenan. Hit 285 last year with 15 home runs and 66 runs batted in at third base. Servideo at short, hit 287, had three home runs, drove in 26, but had 24 stolen bases. Three newcomers in the outfield. Peyton 
Shattinger? Chatonet. Chatonet. Has a pretty good chance to play second base, too, if they move bench to center field. Outfield is pretty much unknown at this point. That's Cypress, Texas. A freshman, Cade Sammons. Freshman out of Jackson, Tennessee. University School, USJ there in Jackson. And then Hayden Leatherwood, a transfer from Northwest Community College with Kevin Graham as the DH. We'll talk about the rotation and the grades for Ole Miss when we come back and wrap it up with you on this Tuesday afternoon. It's Sports Talk Mississippi. Running down his time in that last segment. Let's walk one last time through, or one more time through the uh, projected opening day lineup for Ole Miss, according to D1 Baseball. This is something that's done in conjunction with, uh, in uh, conjunction with coaches and media relations people as well. And Rippy told you a second ago, even though there are um, three names slotted here for outfield positions, those are spots that are very much still up in the air. Hayden Dunhurst, a freshman at catcher. Very likely. Tim Elko at first base, the junior uh, who had two home runs and nine runs batted in. Hit two twelve last year. Ole Miss has got to see a pretty big step forward from Tim Elko this year, don't they? Make or break. Give him 25 games and see what happens. Justin Bench at second base. That's probably up in the air as well. Tyler Keenan at third base. No doubt that's where you will see him. Anthony Servideo at shortstop. Peyton. I'm going to let you keep saying it until I'm certain. You got it. Training wheels coming off. Chatonier. There you go. Did I get it right? Sure. Peyton Chatonier, Cade Sammons, and Hayden Leatherwood. Uh, first two a freshman, Leatherwood, a Juco transfer from Northwest. And then Kevin Graham in the DH spot. Hit 10 home runs and drove in 34 last year. How confident do you feel in this starting rotation of Doug Nikhazy, Gunnar Hoagland, and Derek Diamond? In the fact that that's going to be the rotation? Yeah. Opening weekend, I think that's a uh, pretty safe bet because obviously two pretty set in stone, and then Diamond probably the front runner to get the Sunday job. Keep an eye on Drew McDaniel as well. Nikhazy went nine and three last year with a three thirty one ERA and eighty nine and two thirds, struck out eighty six, walked thirty three. Is him being a little more economical going to be important? Economical, you like that? Yeah, George Bush teach you that one. Yeah. Being able to get a little bit deeper in games with a lower pitch count? That probably helps some. I think more so with him, there's just the adjustment of now he's facing the elite-level arm talent every single night on Friday nights in the SEC. You've seen that a lot with guys. Etheridge, uh, Christian Trent comes to mind. Like Saturday roll, a lot of times guys often thrive because you know the guy on the other side is not always a first-round pick. Tons of talent in the SEC, though. But it is a big adjustment, but, you know... He gave. I mean, he was Ole Miss's most invaluable player last year. I don't know where they'd be without him. Which True. is an important thing to point out. It's happened in a couple of years, particularly a team with they're incredible. I think there's two left-handed pitchers on the roster, and one of them's Doug Nikhazy. Mm-hmm. I think the Lafleur kid can pitch, but I don't think he will, or at least not immediately. I don't know. But Gunnar Hoagland learning curve a year ago as a freshman finished three and three with a five twenty nine ERA, pitched sixty eight innings, and was better late in the season than he was early. Yeah, he did improve. I, I think he he had a good performance in Hoover. You know, was pretty, from what I remember, pretty good in the regional. I seemed to figure some stuff out at the end, but uh, need to see him take a big step forward. Yeah, absolutely. I would say he and Elko are probably, in terms of taking a step forward and being heavy contributors, uh, probably the two most important. 
Austin Miller expected to be the, to be the closer went five and three last year in fifty four and a third innings with a three fifteen ERA, sixty two strikeouts, twenty five walks. Was a really saves. really good and really consistent reliever. I mean, kind of ran out of gas in that championship game against Vanderbilt. But do you remember like what was that? He went eight up, eight down in strikeouts. Maybe it was seven. I don't remember. I mean, for Ole Miss team running on fumes, that was pretty gutsy. But. Uh, Different type of closer than Parker Caracy, but will certainly, I think, be effective. Again, a 20 to 80 grading scale used to look at the kind of team elements. They give Ole Miss's hitting a 55. They say plenty of potential with this unit, but the fact also remains Ole Miss has no returning hitters who batted over 300 last season. They've got to replace their top four hitters in Gray Kessinger, Ryan Olenek, Cole Zabowski, and Thomas Dillard. Power, 60. Speed 65. This is going to be a team, and you pointed out a second ago, uh, that could look a little bit different on the base path than some Mike Bianco teams have in the past. They've got some guys that can fly. They do, and it'll be interesting to see how they kind of use that to their advantage because I think probably the unknown here is you know power and run production in the middle of the lineup around Keenan. Though, I mean, there's potential for some guys to hit. You've got a couple of Juco guys, Dunhurst, Kale Baker, Leatherwood, but... Certainly, I guess that is an option if you're, particularly if you're struggling at the plate early on, or at least struggling to hit the ball at the ballpark. Defensively, they rank Ole Miss as a 60, which is above average. Same thing for starting pitching. Bullpen at a 60. They say plenty of experience in the bullpen. That's for sure. Led by Austin Miller and Taylor Broadway. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.